Hi, you're listening to CSM Podcast with me, Jason, and my co-host, Patrick. The very first podcast brought to you by TY students of Clausch and Sprunev here in Cork. That's right. We have a great lineup for our very first episode, from sports to movies to tech and everything in between. Coming up on the show, we have our gaming expert, Keanu, on the PS5. He's one of the lucky ones to get one. We'll also have Dermot on his staycation recommendations and our music hero, Oscar, on the late, great Freddie Mercury. Well, first, to start the show, we'll head over to John Paul, who's going to take us downtown to the basketball courts to slam dunk on popular opinions in the game. Thanks for that, Jason. Hi, my name is John Paul O'Leary, and on today's segment of the CSM podcast, I'm going to provide some insight into the basketball world for those who aren't too knowledgeable on the subject. If I were to ask the average listener to name five basketball players as their top five of all time, I doubt that they'd be able to do it but they might list names such as Stephen Curry, LeBron James, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And if I'm lucky, maybe Magic Johnson and or Larry Bird. But those main four are the ones that I want to really focus on. And really there are two odd ones out. Kobe Bryant and Stephen Curry. While respectable players are known worldwide by non-basketball players, yet the consensus in the basketball community is that Kobe falls somewhere in the top 10 of all time, and that Stephen Curry falls somewhere in the top 30. Players usually considered better include Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Tim Duncan, Shaquille O'Neal, and the aforementioned Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. For example, Stephen Curry has three NBA championships, but zero finals MVPs or most valuable players, meaning he has never been the Clare Cup best player on his team in a final series. Likewise, Kobe Bryant has five championship rings to his name, but for three of those, his three-peat from 2000 to 2002, Shaquille O'Neal won the finals MVP. Furthermore, Kobe only has one regular season MVP, the same amount as names such as Bill Walton and Dave Cowens and Nikola Jokic, who are irrelevant outside the insular basketball community. So why is Kobe so well known? I suggest it's due to the fact that he is signed with Nike compared to Shaquille O'Neal who was signed with Reebok and Magic Johnson or Larry Bird who were signed with Converse in their day. As I was saying, Stephen Curry is only seen as somewhere in the top 30 of all time in basketball terms. But you may be asking, who are these other 29 players who I haven't heard of? Some of these names include Kevin Durant, Charles Barkley, John Stockton and Alden Iverson most of whom are signed on smaller deals, but I'd like to focus on Kevin Durant, who is, like I said, with Kobe, signed with Nike. And I'd like to ponder why he's not as well-known as Kobe. Maybe it's because he's still playing. But he is a very controversial player in the basketball community, as in 2016, he lost the NBA Finals to the Golden State Warriors while playing with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then in the next offseason, he signed with the Golden State Warriors and won the championship, seen as a snaky or unloyal move. On to current events in basketball, my MVP for the current season, the overall consensus is that it will go to either Stephen Curry or Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic having won it last year. I as a Philadelphia 76ers fan believe that Joel Embiid is the most deserving of the prestigious award as he is leading a team when his co-star Ben Simmons is out on a protest trying to get a move to a bigger team, even though most consider, including myself, him not to be worthy of such a deal. But that's just my opinion. That's it for the latest in basketball from me, John Paul. Thanks for that, John Paul. It's over to our music guru, Oscar, who's talking about the one and only Freddie Mercury. 
Now I'm going to talk about one of the most famous rock stars in all the world, and one of the most flamboyant. I'm going to be talking about Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury is one of the most famous names in music, and one of the most fondly remembered rock artists of all time. And for good reason too. He brought style and energy to music that had never been seen before his time. Farouk Balsara was born in Tanzania on the 5th of September 1946, and he moved to England when he was very young, and he and his family fled to England with only the clothes on their back. He changed his name to Freddie Mercury and he joined a band named Smile in the year of 1970 with drummer Roger Taylor and guitarist Brian May. Later this year, the bassist John Deacon joined and the band was formed. Fun fact, the original album was actually called Queen and the band was called Smile. They changed their name to Queen after the album because of confusion and thus Queen was formed. Freddie Mercury was originally shy when performing in person but it wasn't long before he came out of his shell and he adopted his outward and flamboyant persona that we all know and love today. Freddie Mercury has always been the most flamboyant, outward, and extravagant member of Queen. This is very evident in their fourth studio album, Night at the Opera. Now, Night at the Opera had inspirations from operatic theatre, which had never been seen before in rock and roll music. This is especially evident in the song Bohemian Rhapsody, in which they have a whole operatic section. Now, Queen is known for having a very diverse genre and song spanning across many different themes, genres, and inspirations. Some songs that span across different genres are Bohemian Rhapsody taking inspiration from operatic theatre. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide? No escape from reality. You're my best friend taking inspiration from more camera music. We Will Rock You, taking inspiration from anthems and more intimidating types of music. We will, we will rock you. Sing it! We will, we will rock you. And say, Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon, taking inspiration from 1930s ragtime. I'd say my personal favourite song would be either All Dead, All Dead, or 39, both sung by Brian May, the guitarist of Queen. Queen saw amazing success in these years. Then, in 1983, after being on the road for over 10 years, the band was completely burned out. They took a break and they stopped touring for a while. While the popular movie Bohemian Rhapsody makes it seem like they were not on speaking terms during this time, that's actually not true. They were still on great terms during this time, and they even started work on the Works album uh, later that year. So then in 1985, during this time, everyone in the band took time on a solo project. John Deacon going to work with Elton John, Roger Taylor, Freddie Mercury and Brian May all making solo albums. Now Freddie and Queen are most known for their live shows, and one of the most famous live shows that Queen ever performed was Live Aid. Live Aid is the product of all of Queen's efforts and works over all their years of touring, put together into one 20-minute set, at most remembered as Queen's comeback show, after being on hiatus for a few years. Whenever you think of Live Aid, you always think of Queen, because Live Aid is what shot Queen back into the limelight. And who could forget during Live Aid, when Freddie Mercury had the whole audience in the palm of his hand, waiting for his next move. 
He had the whole audience mimicking him and enjoying and matching the energy of Live Aid. It's safe to say Queen stole the show and not many people were able to focus on the artists afterwards, after Queen's amazing performance. Sadly, Freddie's greatness had to come to an end with him dying of pneumonia caused by AIDS in 1991. Queen held an honour concert and that year Bohemian Rhapsody was re-released and it shot back up to number one once again. And of course, who could forget the hit movie released in 2018 called Bohemian Rhapsody, starring Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury, in which he played Freddie Mercury down to a T. He had every part of Freddie Mercury down. Rami Malek's performance, his facial features, his movements, all the slight subtleties he spent months into crafting, making the perfect Freddie Mercury. That's my take on Freddie Mercury and Queen, one of the greatest performances and bands of the 20th century and arguably of all time. Now, back to you, Jason. That was a blast from the past with Oscar on the legendary Freddie Mercury. Coming up next is Elbos, who's joined in studio with Luke and Oliver and is going to talk us through the importance of health and fitness. Hello Luke and Oliver, thanks for coming on today. First of all, what made you decide to go to the gym regularly? I know some people kind of woke up one day and just decided to get fitter, and some people just started to pop in one day and gradually get regular schedule. What are your stories? My pleasure to come on, thanks. So the story starts when I was younger, at around the age of 13. Yeah, that's around the minimum age you could use the gyms at Leisure World. So I've always wanted to go to the gym because I played no sports whatsoever, and I was quite unfit at the time. I started going to Leisure World in Churchfield in the north side about three to four times a week. And then personal tragedies struck and COVID followed suit. I decided to take a break from the gym. Then about a year and a half later, which was this summer, I woke up one morning, looked at myself and decided, I'm going to the gym. I'm now a member of Flyfit in Cork, which is a really, really big gym and it's fitted with every single gym equipment you could think of. Really a big upgrade from Leisure World. Well, around the age of 13, my friend asked me that I want to go to the gym in Bishopstown. We ended up going for a few weeks and it was really fun and we did cardio and weights. We then had to stop going due to COVID. While there, we pretty much did weights and some cardio. Uh, Yeah, I'm thinking of starting to go to the gym sometime, maybe early next year. Do you think now is the right time? Any time to start exercising and going to the gym is good. I'd recommend at a young age, though, as you can build healthy future habits yeah, right, okay. But I think some people like me are quite worried that people will laugh at us because we're beginners. Yeah, I totally understand. You know, at 13, I was incredibly chubby. No offence to anyone, but just imagine a child that's been eating mini pizzas every night on top of dinner, no exercise whatsoever, and spends most of the day sedentarily sitting down watching TV. Yeah, that was me. So walking into the gym for the first time, I had no idea how to use any of the equipment. And moreover, I was really quiet and my social anxiety was at its worst point then. I misused machines. I dropped weights on myself, I nearly broke a rolling machine, nobody laughed, nobody snickered. I would know because having social anxiety I was hypersensitive to these kind of things. And what's more is that occasionally there were people coming over to me to teach me how to use the machines. They were really patient and they honestly weren't doing it as a joke either. Uh, first time going to the gym you'll obviously feel anxious and clueless but I honestly think that there wouldn't be anybody laughing at you. Come on, everybody has to start somewhere and there will always be good people around willing to help you. What about you, Oliver? How was your first day? Okay, so I'm going to talk about my first day going with Luke. Since I hadn't gone due to COVID for pretty much about a year and a half, 
Me and Luke ended up going about four months ago. It was my first time, but Luke was a member of FlyFit for a few months now. At first, we took things kind of light in the kind of upstairs part of the gym, where it was just mainly cardio and lightweight, but I wanted to go down and look at heavyweights. I spent about five minutes before I tried to do a deadlift. My form was terrible, and I didn't plan to lift heavy. I seen it on YouTube, and I just wanted to try it out. At first I did a 50kg deadlift which was okay, then I tried and did a 90kg deadlift which was over my body weight and I should not have tried it because my form was terrible and my back was bent in the end. I've learned a lot since my first time going to the gym. Form is basically your technique in gym slash lifting etc. Another worry that I think people have is that they'll enjoy themselves. Have you or Luke ever enjoyed themselves? My first time bench pressing, I never had a good form. Some parts of my form are right, some are wrong. I ended up doing a 20kg bench press, which was basically just the bar itself, and then went to 30 and then to 40, which was a big jump since it was my first day pretty much. After the 40, I ended up doing 50kgs, but I ended up hurting my shoulder. I felt the pain a few hours after and it hurt a lot. I think I tore a part of my shoulder. You know, actually, similarly, I've injured myself in almost the exact same way. I injured myself doing bench presses. I was loading too much weight on it. I didn't have the best form too. I put way too much strain on my shoulder and I had a grade 1 AC separation. It's kind of like when your collarbone pops out of the socket that it's supposed to be in. Uh, in my case, it popped out only just a little bit. I was in quite a lot of pain, but thankfully, it was easily reversible by resting for about two weeks. I still have a small little bump on that area, but it kind of serves as like a reminder not to strain my shoulders too much again. Bench presses are a menace when it comes to proper form and injury reversing, but at the same time, I really think injury is something that everyone would experience at least once. I think there's a link between ego lifting and injuring yourself. For those that don't know, ego lifting is when you use unnecessarily huge amounts of weight on yourself just to make yourself look strong and feel better. You're doing the incorrect form when you're ego lifting. I'd say ego lifting is right if you're doing it right. You'll injure yourself if you do it with bad form, especially if you're a beginner. I'd say that's about right. It was two weeks after getting back in the gym again I injured myself and the weight I used was really too much now looking back at it. Uh, I've heard that getting to the gym is easy, but staying and working out regularly is tough. Do you guys struggle with that? Yeah, not gonna lie, during the summer it was really easy staying in a routine. But now with school and everything, it's been a lot more difficult. Uh, during school days, realistically, the only time I can go to the gym is right after, and I'm way too exhausted to do that. I've tried drinking caffeine for an energy boost, but that leaves me unable to sleep at night. I've tried going before school, but the total journey to get from my house to FlyFit, then FlyFit to school, is one hour on the bus. Not to mention, there's no earlier bus from my house to FlyFit than 7, meaning that I'd only get to work out like one hour max on a tight schedule too. So now I only go weekends. (laughs) Guiltily, I am incredibly unproductive when my friends are around at the gym, Oliver, which are almost always during weekends. I'm not complaining, but I'm way too talkative and I'm not a good gym buddy when it comes to that. And worst of all, when my friends are not around, I feel unmotivated and just don't feel like working out. I'd definitely be getting back into proper schedule though. Uh, yeah, that's good. What about you, Oliver? My motivation is pretty much gym music. It is literally any motivation I will never need. A friend also going with you is nice, especially if you're doing weights or cardio. Personally, I think it's very boring without music on while you're in the gym. I listen to rap while I'm there. You know, typical gym music, like the very, very electronic ones, in my opinion, really annoys me. It's repetitive and mo- almost all gym songs feature the exact same bass line. The music I listen to at the gym is kind of like dance pop, but now increasingly hip-hop songs and pop songs with rap segments in the middle. But really, any kind of music that gets me on. In my opinion, the music you listen to while working uh, working out varies person to person. I have a friend who listens to heavy metal while working out, and I also even have a friend who listens to breakup songs while working out. 
What about you, Oliver? What music do you listen to when you're working out? I listen to rap mainly when I'm working out. Um, I mainly listen to rappers like Kanye West and Playboy Cardi while I'm in the gym. Alright, thanks for coming on both of you. I think myself and a lot of people listening have gained a lot of knowledge and advice from going to the gym for the first time and keeping it going. Do you have any comments you want to add? Not all good, Eldos. Thanks very much for having me in. Yeah, I think I've said enough already. Really, if you want to go to the gym, do it now. Don't delay. Don't go too hard on yourself. Bring a friend if you're not easily distracted like me. And very importantly, have a good working out playlist. Yeah, that's about it. Thanks for all your advices, Luke and Oliver. Uh, now it's over to Jason. Thanks, Eldos, Oliver and Luke on your advice on health and fitness in the gym. Now, let's head over to our gaming expert, Keanu, who is going to talk us through the PS5. Thanks, Jason. The PS5 was released just a year ago and only a few were lucky to get one. Even after a year, it's still hard to score one with stock selling out instantly, but here's what I think of it. So there are two types of PS5s, the standard edition and the digital edition. The standard costs $4.99 and the digital edition costs $3.99. So what's the difference between the prices? The difference is that the digital edition does not contain a disk drive, but the standard edition does. So how different is it compared to the previous console? So um, according to my research, it said that the PS5 is 8 times more powerful than the PS4. The new PS5 also has 3D audio technology. It also has a storage of 825 gigabytes, which is 2 times the PS4. The PS5 is up to 8K resolution and has a frame rate of up to 120 FPS. The console can be colored in either black or white and it's 15.4 inches taller than the previous console. It also supports backwards compatibility. So what happened with the stock after the release? So months after the release of the PlayStation in 2020, it has been almost impossible to buy one nowadays. Um, This was because of very low PS5 production. This was due to low chip uh, supply caused by the COVID pandemic. However, Sony promised to deliver enough chips to meet its production goal this year so that more PS5s can be made. So, my opinion on it. I can say that both PS5 editions are really great, but honestly, I would go for the PS5 Standard Edition. So my reason for that is because the Standard Edition has a disk drive where you can insert a physical disk. But again, the Digital Edition does not contain a disk drive, meaning you can only play your favorite games online. You also have a free option to sell your video games if you have the standard edition. If you get a digital edition, you cannot make full refunds after purchasing games from the online store. And that's my review. And now here are my top 3 video game recommendations for the PS5. So for starters, number 1, Minecraft. For those who doesn't know what Minecraft is, Minecraft is an open world multiplayer sandbox video game created by Mojang, a Swedish company where you can create your own virtual world. You can create a house, your own city, you can create a story roleplay, a survival map, pixel art, and many more things you can imagine. Minecraft has been a video game since 2009. Though Minecraft is already an old game, it still receives more updates requested by fans, which makes the game better and greater. So, um, recently in November, Minecraft had the Caves and Cliffs update, part 2, where you can explore bigger and darker caves and climb higher and steeper mountains. Minecraft is actually my most favorite video game of all time. It's um, fun, addictive, exciting, adventurous, and yeah. If you like video games where you can play and explore worlds with friends online, then Minecraft is for you. 
According to GameStop Ireland, it is at a cost of 35 euro. Now, the second game on my list would be Just Dance 2022. So if you're looking for something physical, this is for you. This game is also good for you if you like dancing and music. So Just Dance is a rhythm game developed by the company Ubisoft. The goal in Just Dance is to score points by following the dancers' moves um, in the video game. There are more than 600 songs with different difficulties to choose from. Songs like Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, The Weeknd, and many more of your favorite singers or bands. The game also features a kids mode for younger dancers. Just Dance is also a great way to stay active, to lose weight, and to stay fit. It's even more fun to play it with friends and family members than just single player. You can also have a dance-off against players around the world and see who scores higher points. From GameStop, it has a price of 60 euro. And my last game on the list would be Far Cry 6. So for those who love action games, this one's for you. So Far Cry 6 is an action-adventure first-person shooter game that was released in October. The plot of Far Cry 6 is you're a guerrilla fighter trying to liberate the island of Yara that's being controlled by a dictator. Your main goal is to take down the dictator and free the entire island of Yara. Yeah, this game is packed with lots of amazing action and great yet epic combo. It comes with a great story, a great villain, and yes, it also does come with multiplayer. So um, according to GameStop, it has a cost of 70 euro. But um, although Far Cry is a video game series, there's no need to play them in order. And that's all I got on the PS5 news, so now it's over to our hosts. Thanks Keanu, I was lucky enough to get one for myself. There was only two left in stock, but I have to agree. It is a great console, and easily the best so far, ahead of Xbox and Nintendo. Next up is Niall with his predictions on the Premier League this year. So now it's on to the Premier League with me. Today I'm going to be going through the best weekend games, analysis of some key players, and the predictions for the end of the season. The first game is Man United versus Norwich. United showed they were going to be the dominant side early on, showing chances from Tellez from a free kick and Maguire with a closer chance, but both tipped over the bar by Tim Krull. Ronaldo had a couple of chances, one where he was played a lovely through ball by McTominay, beat a defender, but left himself with too much work to do, being saved by the keeper again. It wasn't until late in the second half, when Ronaldo got taken out by Ahrens, giving him the chance to hammer it into the bottom corner from the spot. Full-time 1-0. Next brings us to Man City Wolves. From the start of the game, it was always looking a challenge for the visitors, and was made a lot worse when striker Raul Jimenez got booked for a foul on Rodri, yet only less than a minute later, getting a second yellow for not being 10 yards from the ball many times. It wasn't until the second half where the deadlock was broken, with a controversial handball penalty decision for Sterling to step up and not only score the winner, but his 100th Premier League goal. Now to the Emirates, where Arsenal got a comfortable three points against Southampton, with goals from Gabriel, Odegaard and Lacazette to claim a comfortable win. Finally brings us to the peak of the game, where Chelsea host Leeds. The visitors took an early lead with Rafinha scoring from the spot after Alonso took out James, but couldn't keep the advantage up to half-time, with Mason Mount placing the ball into the back of the net. The second half brought plenty of action with Jorginho taking the lead for the hosts with a controversial penalty won by Rudiger. Leeds answered with the teenager Geldhart equalising from a cross. It was set to be a draw until an added time. Chelsea won another penalty where Jorginho once again sent the keeper the wrong way and gave Chelsea the three points they need for the title race. So plenty of penalties this weekend which leads me to the next topic over and underrated. 
For over it, I'll be picking the man who I recently mentioned, Jorginho. He was recently placed third in the Ballon d'Or. The reason being, he won the Champions League and the Euros. This is impressive, but for someone who had only scored nine goals in 2021 before the trophy being awarded, and seven of these being penalties, he is, in my opinion, the most overrated. Now to underrated with Sam striker, Mikel Antonio. The Jamaican forward has already seven goals this season and is charging his club into the battle for the Champions League football once again. His physicality and finishing ability make him, for me, the most underrated. Lastly, I'll be predicting the champion, top four and relegated clubs. I think top spot will be taken by Liverpool, with Van Dijk, Salah and Alisson pushing them to the top, closely followed by Chelsea, Man City and United. For relegation, I can't see Norwich pulling it back after their poor start and Burnley and Newcastle going down, unless Newcastle find a way to get some more points by the board spending some of their money. So that's it for the latest in the Premier League with me, Niall. Let's see if my predictions come true by the end of the season. Back to our hosts. Thanks, Niall. I'd have to agree with you with Liverpool winning the league, not just because I'm a fan, but Salah is the GOAT. So if you're stuck in another lockdown and want something to watch, here's our movie both Patrick and Steven and their reviews on must-see films. Thanks, Jason. Today, Patrick and I are going to be talking about our favourite movies from this year. Yeah, a lot of good movies came out this year. So what's been your favourite one so far? Well, my favourite movie that came out this year was called Red Notice, directed by Ross and Marshall Turber. It's starring Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot, which are famous for Jumanji, Deadpool and Wonder Woman, respectively. Uh, It came out November 5th, 2021, and it's made $2 million in the box office. This is really impressive, actually. So, what's the story about, and what were the ratings like? Well, the ratings got 6.4 out of 10 in IMDb, and on Rotten Tomatoes it only got 36%, but in my opinion, I think it should have got more, because I thought it was a very good movie. It's about an Interpol agent, played by Dwayne Johnson, who attempts to hunt down and capture the world's most wanted art thief, played by Ryan Reynolds, but it's not what you expect. That sounds interesting. So, uh, where can I watch it? Well, it's a Netflix exclusive. That sounds interesting, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, what is your favourite movie that came out this year? Uh, so my favourite movie that came out this year is called Nobody. It's made by Perfect World Pictures and it was, came out on March 26, 2021. It cost $16 million to make and made a return of $56.7 million. What was it ratings? Uh, its ratings were a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb and it was 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. So these are pretty high results for a movie that had no build-up. Nice, what was it about? So it's about a man who defends himself on a bus that's played by Don Odenkirk, who is most known for his roles in Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and The Incredibles. And this leads him to being hunted by a Russian gang. However, he's an ex-soldier, and he is not exactly who he seems. Actors that help him are Christopher Lloyd, who is most notable for his role as Doc Brown in the Back to the Future series. That sounds nice, I'd have to watch it. So what's your favourite movie of all time, would you say? Well, I'd have to say that my favourite movie of all time would have to be Happy Gilmore, directed by Dennis Duggan. It's starring Adam Sandler, Christopher MacDonald and Julie Bowen. It came out in 1996 as a romantic comedy movie. It made $41.2 million in the box office and is written by Adam Sandler. That's pretty impressive. So what are your main thoughts about it? Well, overall I think it's a great movie and it was 61% on Rotten Tomatoes and on IMDb it was given a 7 out of 10 rating. It's about when a character called Happy Gilmore hears that his grandmother loses her house he enters a golf tournament to win the prize money to save her house. 
But since Happy is driven by hockey, he finds it really hard to play golf as he knows nothing about it. That's interesting. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's very good. So what's your favourite movie of all time? Uh, It would have to be The Matrix, made by the Wachowskis. The first one particularly, because the rest of the series really falls off. Uh, It's most notable for its huge roles for Keanu Reeves in his role as Neo, Carrie-Anne Moss for Trinity, and Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus. It is recognised for its influence on media and culture, with memorable scenes such as red pill and blue pill scenes being quoted almost daily, along with the bullet time dodge being used as a camera trick that's still used in movies today. It's also used as an example of a movie which promoted the idea of trans rights, as the character Switch is a man in the real world and a woman in the Matrix. This is almost unheard of when the movie came out. Yeah. So what, what ratings did it get? It got in the high 80s, low 90s, as because it's such an old movie, there's conflicting uh, ideas of what rating it should get. It's made over $465 billion in the 1990s alone, and the amount of royalties each actor gets for it since is not noted. That's a lot of money. So uh, that was my favourite movie that came out of all time, probably. So, what would be one movie that you are really looking forward to coming out this year or in the next few years? Actually, there's another sequel to The Matrix that will be coming out later this year, as currently in the works. One of the Wachowskis has left the project, however, I still think it'll be pretty good. I'd like it to be good, except my expectations aren't as high as they would be, as the other parts of The Matrix installments have not been as good as the first. What about you? What movies are you looking forward to this year? Well, one of the biggest movies to ever come out in the Marvel Universe is coming out this year, Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, uh, actually I heard about that one. It looks good. Yeah, it's bringing back loads of old characters from the old movies, such as the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies and the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. And the plot is about the main villain Mysterio leaks Peter Parker's identity, which is Spider-Man, and in the current movie that's coming out soon, he's trying to reverse the effects so, you know, he can come back to Spider-Man, so he goes to pro-hero Doctor Strange and to try and reverse the effects but it it doesn't go what you would expect. Yeah, I heard of this. I'll have to check it out. I also heard that villains such as Dr. Octavius, Electro and Green Goblin will be played by their uh, original actors, which is Alfred Molina, Jamie Foxx and William Defoe, respectively. That's correct. They're all coming back, and the conspiracy theories say that old Spider-Men are coming back as well, such as Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, but I don't know if that's true or not. I think that'd be a great move for uh, Marvel, as they both those series have a uh, lot of diehard fans. Yeah. So... What would be your favourite genre in, in movies? Like, what would you, like, if you were going to the cinema, like, what genre would you be looking for? Uh, I'd probably be looking for either a sci-fi, an action, or a fantasy movies, as each of those gives you a bit of suspension of disbelief, so you can never really expect what they're going to throw at you. Mm-hmm. What about you? Well, I like kind of comedy movies and action movies, and if they go hand in hand together, it's better because you can have a laugh and it has loads of stuff to do with action and, and scenes, and it just works very well together. Yeah, I see stuff like that. Stuff like uh, Jumanji and mm-hmm. was the movie you were talking about like that as well? Red Notice. It's a great movie. Yeah. Was that an action comedy as well, yeah? Yeah, it's it's funny and it, there's loads of action scenes in it, but they tie in together and it's just greatly put together and it's just a very good movie overall. Yeah. I think that action comedy is one of the most upcoming genres with movies mm-hmm. such as Thor Ragnarok, which came out a few years ago, yeah. being one of the greatest movies that people would say that they'd watched in the last few years. It is one of the best Marvel movies as well, maybe as Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah. So, what is the worst movie you've ever seen, in your opinion? Well, I don't know if if I have a, like, a least favourite movie, but one movie I don't like would be Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, 
because I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but the way they ended the saga, I just didn't think it was very good. Yeah, I didn't think it did justice. It kind of ruined a few characters' arcs in the end, I would yeah. say. Mm. What about you? What's your least favourite movie? Uh, yeah, I know you were talking about uh, Adam Sandler, but the worst movie I've ever seen has to be Who Be Halloween. Yeah, it was it pretty is bad. atrocious. The acting is stale and the script mm. is predictable. I don't think there's a lot that you can really give that movie credit for. Yeah, like it would have had a good storyline, but they just didn't execute it well. They just, yeah. yeah. They, they went it, off like a lot. They made it a bit too obvious at the start, didn't they? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So like, who would be your favourite actor or actress, like, ever? Uh, My favourite actor, I'd say probably Ewan McGregor. Mm, Especially yeah, in his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Star Wars franchise. He puts uh, a lot of motion into his characters. Yeah, also his beard is great. Yeah. You know, but uh, I saw him in a documentary a few years ago where uh, him and a friend of his went on a motorcycle trip around the world. And I think it took them like eight months to do it, to start in Brighton, I think. And then they went all around the world and finished in New York. I'd have to watch that. Sounds good. Yeah, but what's your favourite actor or actress of all time, would you say? Well, I'd have to say that Adam Sandler would be <laughs> probably my favourite actor because he just he's put so much like joy into his movies, except for Who Be Halloween, obviously. Yeah. That one was just terrible. That would but, be the exception. Like, my favourite movie, Happy Gilmore, stars Adam Sandler, so that's probably why I like it so much, because he's funny and like he can make things work, you know? I yeah. just I just like it like that, and he's nice as well. Yeah, he's very self-aware, <laughs> uh, especially with uh, most of his work. He knows that he has a formula, and he's found mm-hmm. it, he sticks with it, and it really works. Yeah. So if there is one sequel to a movie that, you know, isn't coming out, what would it be? If you could make a movie about, like, any franchise, what would it be? To be honest, I don't know. Uh... I'd say they could make, like, a sequel out of Red Notice because the way it ended, you know, it kind of ended at a cliffhanger if you watched it. If not, you're going to have to watch it because it's very good. Well, not really a cliffhanger-like, but if they made a sequel to it, I'd say it'd be very good. Yeah, I'd say uh, most of the action movies that come out now, they could do a lot of sequels. Mm-hmm. And especially with how you described Red Notice, I yeah. think uh, it has a lot of room for a whole franchise. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, I'd say if they made another movie just to kind of finish up the Dark Knight trilogy made by oh, yeah. uh, made a few years ago. It didn't really end too well, I think, with uh, Dark Knight Rises yeah. with uh, Bane. Tom Hardy is a great actor, but I think that was probably one of his worst roles. Yeah, it it would have been a good movie, but you know, just the ending, it was it was okay. Like it was yeah. like Dark Knight with Joker was probably the best of the trilogy. So like if they mm. could do something to the Dark Knight Rises as well, they could make that better. Yeah, there was definitely stuff that could be done that wasn't. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that pretty much wraps up our segment. And I yep. think we'll pass it back to Jason. Thanks. Now, Ray will be taking us through the world's strongest man. So have you ever thought about whether you could lift a car, push a locomotive, or drag a plane all by yourself? Don't even try it. It's only for the brave. That's being the world's strongest man. This year's world's strongest man was Tom Stoltman. Tom Stoltman was the first Scottish world's strongest man. Four-time world's strongest man champion Brian Shaw came second and Canada's Maxime Baudriot came in a close third. This year's competition was held in California in the United States. But what is the world's strongest man? The world's strongest man is a competition 
which was started in 1977 to determine who is the strongest man in the world, quite simply. To qualify, you have to come in the top three in the Giants competition, which is basically like a smaller World's Strongest Man competition. If you think of it like in the um, Champions League sense, the Giants is like the Premier League and the top four from the Premier League go through to the Champions League. So that's the same thing that happens in World's Strongest Man. But inside the World's Strongest Man competition, you still have to qualify for it again. So it's like the Champions League group stages and you progress through them through a myriad of events. In um, the qualifying round one this year, they had the loading medley. This is one of the hardest um, events. This event is so hard because many of these objects that they carry are awkward, but they're also very heavy. And uh, as many of you know from carrying stuff at home, when something is awkward, it is nearly twice as heavy. And they have to carry these objects about 20 metres or so, and then they sprint back to get the next object, and they have to basically carry these group of objects from one point to another. Each year, it depends, but um, the uh, objects they have to carry are anchors, bags of uh, grain or, you know, or sand, and these can be 100 kgs or more, you know, it often depends. And one year they actually did um, a very interesting thing where they did um, big stones shaped like continents. And this isn't the exact same part of the competition, but it's um, similar. And um, they had um, Africa and America and Europe and all these continents. And it was actually quite good to watch. They brought them from uh, point A to point B anyway. So... That was one of the main events for the um, qualifying. They also had squat lift and deadlift on day one. So in day two of this uh, competition, it's still another qualifying round. And in this, they have different events. There's Fingal's Fingers, which is um, an event where they um, push big logs or um, poles up and over. These logs have to go from, uh, they're lying on the ground and they have to basically topple them over the other way. And um, they also have the train push, which is fairly simple. It's just that you're pushing um, something like a train or something like that. Then in the final qualifying round, day three, they have the overhead medley. It's mainly barrels that they throw and they pick them up and they throw them right over your head and up to about 10 foot at least high. And they go over this uh, little banner and you have to get them over the other side. It's uh, quite a frustrating one because many times they... um, Object is very close to the top, but it just misses. And then uh, the second event this day is the pickaxe hold, which is just holding a pickaxe, which is often heavier than a normal pickaxe, and it has a shorter handle. handle. And uh, they hold it straight out with their arms locked in position in front of them. And then uh, the third and final event of this day is the stone off, which is pretty similar to the Atlas stone. It involves picking up the stones and popping them on um, platforms. They weigh about... 50 kg usually, but you know, they can be bigger or smaller. They're far bigger than um, any soccer ball. Day one of the final, there's the Giants medley, Titans turntable, and the total body fuel cake toss. And then on day two of the, the final, there's the log lift, the knack deadlift, and the Atlas Stones, which is a classic event. The Atlas Stones is um, an event which many strongmen train specifically for. And um, Eddie Hall was fairly famous for uh, beating half your Bjornsson a few years ago in this competition. It was one of the things that helped him to become world's strongest man. 
as these strongmen attempt these events, the faces that many of them make are of pure determination and often pain. One man, Mark Felix, shows no pain and a famous example of him doing this is in the car deadlift. He was competing against some of history's best in the world's strongest man. For example, Eddie Hall and Brian Shaw. But uh, as Eddie and Brian's faces were both red with determination and pain, Mark Felix looked as if he was um, asleep. He was very calm and peaceful, which was quite an astonishing feat, you know, as it's uh, very hard to do these events. Imagine what face you'd make if you had to lift a car. I'm going to talk about the um, heaviest deadlift now. So the heaviest deadlift was performed in um, 2020 by a half Bjornsson in Iceland at his own gym. He beat the previous record held by um, Eddie Hall. Eddie Hall has done many interviews about this deadlift and it is quite well documented by him. He tried at first to do it the traditional way of lifting heavier and heavier weights but he was still um, far away from where he wanted to be. He wanted to get to that 500kg mark but he was still only in the 400kg's region which wasn't enough. So what he did was he changed the training tactics. It's very unusual and he went with a new tactic that not many people have done and he looked into this fight or flight reflex in our body. It's what enables um, women to lift cars off of their children um, when they've never um, attempted anything like this in their life. But this is what he tapped into and he brought the leading psychiatrist in to help him tap into this. He tricked his body into this fight or fight mode and which enabled him to lift the 500 kgs. During this lift, he's in intense pain. There's blood all over his face. It's coming out of his eyes, his nose and his mouth. There's even some coming out of his ears. It's not a nice sight. But uh, he performs this deadlift perfectly, locking it out perfectly and uh, he drops it back down again then. After the event, he experienced temporary memory loss, temporary blindness, and he also experienced internal bleeding. But uh, he luckily he's all okay now. If you want to see either of these two deadlifts, either the one by Hafjör Björnsson or by Eddie Hall, you can go onto YouTube to view both of these. Both of these lifts are um, fairly uh, graphic. Yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted. That's it for The World's Strongest Man by me, Ray. So, last but not least, our adventurer Dermot joins us to give us his best staycation suggestions. So, hi, yeah, my name is Dermot, and I'll be talking about my top few travel picks. All three are on the island of Ireland, so this will be my staycation travel list. So in no particular order, my first pick is somewhere off the beaten track. It is the Ivier Peninsula. It is within easy reach for all of us, yet it actually has a wide variation of opportunities and attractions. And if you are staying in a local B&B, which I would highly recommend, you will be treated to a heartwarming full Irish breakfast and warm Irish welcomes all around. This peninsula actually has a wealth of attractions, such as Carantool, Valencia Island and Ross Bay Strand, which is near Glenbay. And the amazing tourist attractions in Killarney, such as the National Park, all that is only a 30-minute car ride away, depending on where you're staying. The National Park has a wide variation of flora and fauna, and there's options for everyone. Families, couples, fun is to be had for all. So for my second pick, I'll be heading up to the north, and I'll be talking about Antrim. 
Not only does this area have an amazing geographical feature such as the Giant's Causeway, which was formed by volcanoes erupting thousands of years ago, but Belfast is also within easy reach, with spectacular tourist attractions such as the Titanic Museum, the Belfast Estate, the Castle Estate, the Cathedral and the City Hall. The Bushmills Distillery is also an amazing attraction. This stark city has an eventful history that is deeply enriched in Irish culture. With loads of museums and a wide selection of locally sourced artesian food, you'll be spoiled for choice. And this is an amazing chance for a weekend getaway or even for a longer week-long holiday. And for my final choice, I've gone for a bit more eccentric. On ResponsibleTravel.com, a leader in the ecotourism market, there are many holidays all around the world to choose from. However, I've chosen one in particular. This guided tour brings you up from Galway City through Connemara and into Mayo. It is different from the other two holidays I've mentioned for a very important reason. This is an ecotourism holiday. So as well as your staycation, supporting local businesses and so many other initiatives, you are supporting the environment. There's a whole world of ecotourism out there. There's guided tours from the jungles of Malaysia to the banks of the River Nile. And there are so many options out there for ecotourism. It is a brand new form of tourism that has rapidly expanded over the last couple of years. And with the environment becoming a bigger topic and a bigger issue nowadays, it is very important and I strongly recommend you making your next holiday an ecotourism holiday. This tour brings you along many of the attractions all along the coast of Galway and Mayo, and I went in parts of it and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So that's it for me for my top three picks for staycations next year. Keep it in mind and I hope you enjoy any place you choose out of this list. And this isn't a complete list, I didn't do any of these three places any sort of justice, I only mentioned them briefly. There's much more information available on websites online and their tourist information offices. But that's all for me, Dermot. Thank you. Back to our hosts, Patrick and Jason. Thanks, Dermot, for your travel tips. We'll have a look at those up online. And that wraps up the very first episode of CSM Podcast. What did you think of it, Patrick? Well, I think we all did a very good job today and that we should all be very proud of ourselves. Uh, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd agree with you there, Patrick. Uh, it was good crack coming in here today. Uh, I thought it was great crack and everyone's got to enjoy themselves. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show. We'd like to take the time to thank our teachers, Miss Gary, Miss Cleary and Miss Shocknersey, for making this happen and to our co-host for coming on the show. The podcast was produced by Elaine Smith and recorded by the Republic of Work Studios. Stay tuned to the next episode. This has been Jason. And this has been Patrick. Till next time, bye for now. <laughs>